0: Thanks for joining us at Keys for SLPs, opening new doors for speech-language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan. A weekly audio course and podcast from speechtherapypd.com. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals, patients, and caregivers to discuss therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field as we discuss a variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for point 0.1 ASHA CEUs, We are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word KEYS for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code word KEYS. Visit SpeechTherapyPD.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Welcome to this episode of Keys for SLPs, keys to not-so-corporate speech pathology. I am your host, Mary Beth Hines. Before we get started, we have a few items to mention. As a reminder, if you're joining us for the live course and your state license requires live CEUs, be sure to complete all course modules, including the one that says quiz before the end of the day today on your speechtherapypd.com account. We encourage questions from our participants You can put your questions in the chat box for our guests to answer at the end of the episode or throughout the episode. Here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. I receive compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com for hosting keys for SLPs. No relevant non-financial relationships exist. Jason Hall receives compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com for this episode. He is the owner of JHC Enterprises, a podcast host and author. No relevant non-financial relationships exist. And now we welcome our guest today, Jason Hall, MS, CCC, SLP. Jason has been a practicing speech-language pathologist for 17 years and now specializes in speech pathology consulting with businesses, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and influencers. He is the co-host of the podcast, Motown Philly, which focuses on communication, connection, and community. He is the author of The Vocal Owner Manual, A Healthy Vocal Guide for the Struggling Speaker and Singer. Jason, we are so happy to have you here on Keys for SLPs to talk about not-so-corporate speech pathology.
1: Thank you, Mary Beth. That was a pretty good introduction. I was kind of looking around like, who's that guy? <picture>.
0: You know what? I get that from guests a lot. Like, wow, I haven't really heard it said like that, but yeah. that's pretty cool.
1: You you do that well. Like,
0: um,
1: <laughs> I, I like what you did. You, you're you good at that.
0: Well, thank you. All mm-hmm. right. So tell us about yourself and your journey that led you to the field of speech language pathology.
1: Well, I am Jason Hall. I currently live in Memphis, Tennessee, where I've been for over 10 close to 15 years now, originally from Detroit, Michigan. You know, Mary Beth, that's kind of a loaded question. I'm not sure if if we have enough time, but to keep it short, I didn't start off wanting to be a speech therapist when I went to college oh so many years ago. I actually got my undergraduate degree in psychology and in Spanish, but it was only when I finished with my bachelor's in psychology is when I figured out hey I really don't want to be a therapist in that manner and I didn't want to sit and listen to like I thought at that time like a whole bunch of problems but <laughs> when you're in the service field you kind of you kind of deal with a whole bunch of problems anyway so then I, I went to go abroad for a year and came back I went to Argentina and then I came back and I met a couple people that were influential in making that transition to to really look into the speech pathology field. I think it was a summer job that I had, and I learned about speech pathology because of one of the clients I was serving, and it got really interesting for me. I'll just stick a pin right there.
0: Okay. (laughs) So then you went to graduate school. Where did you go to graduate school?
1: Tennessee State University in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. So then you joined the field. You worked through your CFY and then you worked for about 15 years doing clinical speech pathology work. Is that right?
1: Definitely. Graduated from Tennessee State University around the year 2005. And just knew at that time, I did not want to work in, like, you kind of know what you want to do. I didn't want to work in the pediatric. Environment. And I just wanted to really focus on adults. And that was more of the medical speech lane. And I worked in several settings for about 15 years. One over the 15 years, one was, well, first start off in subacute and then did some skilled nursing, finished skilled nursing and graduated in my mind to home health. Home health is in my mind. It's kind of like if you're going to do clinical speech pathology. Like, as far as medical, it's probably one of the higher tier environments to work in as far as autonomy. It just depends on what you want, but I enjoyed it.
0: So you had reached that milestone and you were doing well and you decided, okay, I want something different. So what led you to the field of corporate speech pathology work?
1: I think, like I said, I I believe that was, I felt like I was graduating through different levels and those who might be listening to this currently or maybe in the future, if you have had your experience in the medical field, it's a good thing because you get to figure out that you can be in different spaces. But once you're there for so many years, you kind of, you know, as all of us speech therapists do, we have an opportunity to move around. And I felt like I was graduating through the rings, like even pay-wise. And I was just like, well. Working in the hospital is definitely not something I want to do for the rest of my life. And as I graduated and got up to, when I say graduated, as I moved throughout the different stages of, of different settings, I felt, especially as I was more of a home health provider going into houses, I felt a a lot of independence in that particular time when I'm driving and going to several Different patients' houses and things of that nature. And you are, you're not connected to a lot of people. And you do see and talk to some of your teammates that you might be on a therapy staff with once or twice, maybe once a week, I think. And that autonomy is contagious over time. And as you begin to work with clients and their families, and it's more of an intimate setting. So I think that's when my. Mouth was watering for something different in a lot of ways. And you sometimes you get those questions from family. Hey, you know, especially when like Medicare is running out and you're just like in someone's plateaued and you're just like, Well, listen, I'm not allowed to keep working with you just because we like each other. Right. <laughs> <And, Correct. laughs> but if the circumstances were different, you know, I would do different things, but they weren't different. But I just knew that the way Medicare worked and how my mind was. Leaning towards potentially becoming independent or doing a type of practice or a type of therapy or treatment on my own, I got really interested in it. And I just, I guess certain people were saying, because I was saying things out loud, they were saying, Well, why don't you just start your own? Why don't you just, and I really didn't know what to do. How did that look like? How did I want to start my own? Like, would it be with dysphagia? I love dysphagia. Would it be with voice? Because I love voice as well. Or would it be kind of where I am right now? And if I'm honest, I didn't focus on dysphagia. I focused more on voice and just like the ability to just speak more clearly. So I remember getting just on the side. A family reached out to me. I I made a website and I just said, well, let me just open up shop. And (laughs) a family reached out to me, one or two without me advertising much. And I like the model of using like Zoom and technology, what we're doing now. And I was just like, Man, why not? If I get to construct how this looks or how this will be, as opposed to me coming to someone's house and sitting down like, yeah. So I remember, and I don't want to say the family begged me, but they were just <laughs> like, is there something you would you could do? This was like for a child who was in his high school years, probably 11th, 12th grade years, and he was missing some sounds. And I was just like, I can help with that. Never, (laughs) hadn't worked with kids since like graduate school. And I just said, sure, let's do it. And I started working with him. I probably worked for him for several months, like maybe four to five months on the side, once a week.
0: Okay, okay. So then you were working more with a disorder, Mm -hmm. but it was... Kind of elective because he had had that problem for so long and it was independent. Any kind of insurance or anything like that, and so right. then you were like, okay, well that worked. So maybe I should look into the, to other independent work. So that led you to corporate speech pathology.
1: Yeah, and I believe a roundabout way. Definitely, Mary you're picking up what I'm laying down. Is it was. My first client was a private pay, and it was, I guess, what he was say, elective. And this is something that they've gone through speech therapy and stuff before when he was young. And but after that experience, I was like, this is a pretty cool experience. You know, I'm at home. We did this via Skype or Zoom. I believe it was Skype for me at that time. And it was on my terms. Not totally. We had to negotiate times and money and things of that nature for private pay. And I said, I like this. And at that same time, I was in the process of writing a book on voice because I really geek out on voice as well. And as I started to write my book on voice, it's a guide. It's probably a 40, 45 page guide on vocal health and hygiene. I was at the time, promoting a lot of stuff on Instagram, on social media about voice. So as I was doing that and writing the book, just putting stuff out into the ethos, if if you will, or the atmosphere, I started to get some inquiries. Like they knew I was a speech pathologist or speech therapist. And I talked about voice and I did a lot of social media posts on voice. I kind of got some attention and before you know it, a few other people started to reach out to me and started to to do some private pay on the terms of where I knew that I can help when it came to vocal hygiene and things of that nature. So this is where we start leaning over into what is corporate in a lot of ways, because we're dealing with voice and we're dealing with projection. I saw one of my first clients was a was a voiceover artist and the other one was a news anchor from Pennsylvania and she was on the evening news and she wanted to she wanted to be better with how she voiced or vocalized over the phone and she wanted to be healthier. She actually wanted to change her pitch because she thought thought she sounded a little nasally. And I was like Let's go for it. And we did a great job together and had some really good experiences. But this is all the time where I'm still working. And this is part-time. This is by no means something that I was doing full time. And it was so sporadic. And it was, you know, like I said, it was on the negotiated terms of time and money and exchange. It was pretty cool experience too.
0: That does sound cool. So eventually the part-time led you to full time. Is that correct? You're working full-time now as a corporate consultant, Uh speech pathologist. Is that correct?
1: Definitely. Actually, I call myself, Mary Beth, I call myself a coach. I'm not sure if we're going to get into it now. We might get into it a little bit later, I believe. Well, let's go.
0: Yeah, let's get into it now. Let's talk (laughs) about the difference between consulting and coaching.
1: Okay. So as we all might have gleaned, at least when I was in school, there was not a lot of coursework or curriculum on what we all might know as corporate speech pathology. I just want to be so honest and sincere. There might not have been yet a class or a section of a class that focused on what we know as corporate speech pathology. So if I'm honest, guys, and transparent, like I was and am in a lot of ways figuring it out. So, but here's the figuring out part. I knew what I wanted to do, but I also knew what I didn't want to do. I knew what was more me. And I also knew what was not so me. So I had to carve out my lane. So when you understand corporate speech, just to name corporate speech is something that's not necessarily Jason Hall. Eh, it's totally Jason Hall, but I'm not trying to go into a space normally and wear a suit and tie, as you guys who are on might see the baseball cap. <laughs> I love what is professional, but I don't necessarily feel that professional has to look a certain way or has to be a certain way. So, my goal as I started to lean into what is consulting and coaching, which is what I do, I tended to grab more of the coaching aspect of what we do, probably for a lot of good reasons. So I knew that, and if you learn more about corporate speech, a lot of corporate speech pathologists, they don't carry the mantle of being a, a speech therapist, like, or a speech language pathologist. Actually, there are a lot of corporate speech pathologists who don't Continue to carry on their CEUs because it's just not advantageous for what they do on a day to day basis or a yearly basis because this field is something for someone who's not necessarily a speech pathologist to make a living or to earn a living in. But here's the thing the people or the professions who know the most about this realm of communication and speaking and voicing it's us we know that but i promise you there are so many people who live in california and hollywood and these type of places who go in the realms of acting and theater like there are a lot of people who are not speech therapists who do exactly what we do and they do it at a very high level and they're very competent they just don't have the training that we have so Understanding that and how I don't necessarily have to use my license as a term of engagement, I started to lean towards what industry was doing because I didn't want to just become corporate speech and then land inside of an institution or, or, or a brand or a corporate organization. I wanted to make sure who I was actually, who my demographic was and who I was actually focusing on. It was more of, say, the entrepreneur, or it's more of the influencer, maybe the social media influencer, or it could be a professional that also hangs out in social media realms. And so when you get on LinkedIn or maybe even Instagram or Facebook, you see terms that are more coachy. Now, where does the consulting come in? There consulting probably comes in more for the legal business aspect of my business entity. Now, if I'm going to a business or a bank, I'm sorry, and I'm wanting to present myself for potentially funding or I want to establish myself. What do you do? Consulting is a name that for lack of a better word, that connects or jives. I was going to say jive. I said it already. That, that <laughs> They both jive, work. <laughs> right. That jives or connects with what businesses can understand or comprehend. So I'm set up, to answer your question, full circle, as a consulting agency. But I present myself or I posture myself, if you will, to those who I work with, my clientele, as a coach. So it's not the therapist, it's not the consultant per se, although coaching and consultant are kind of the same, but they have a nuanced difference between them. A coach really, really holds you accountable and they give you certain steps to work through to get a certain result. And typically a consultant comes in with all this information and they say, you guys go do it and get back with me and 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 let me know how you're doing. They don't necessarily walk you through the process as a coach would would actually do with hands-on recommendations or advice as to what a team would do or an individual would do.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, um, are you normally working with individuals or are you sometimes working with teams of people?
1: Well, that might be the probably biggest difference when you talk about not so corporate speech pathology. Like I haven't and don't not that I'm averse to it, but I don't currently or haven't worked with a group like I really transitioned into doing this more full time at the beginning of this year. So post-COVID, when COVID came around, I really probably like everyone else in the country started reconsidering if I'm going to make a move, I might as well do it during this thing called the great what do they call it? The great resignation. and. (laughs) I can definitely say I was a part of that movement because you guys know, especially if you were working in the field, it was fatiguing, especially if you were working in the medical field. I think everyone, I was not going to say that my plight was worse than anyone else, but it was just tough. And I got to a point where I wanted to begin to call my own shot. So working through COVID really got me in the mindset of how can I orchestrate this thing to work best for me? And, you know, if I'm going to work and do business, these are the terms. If anyone wants to work and do business, why would you work and set up a business that doesn't conform to the things that you would rather have or you would see yourself do on a day to day basis? And that's kind of what I did.
0: And that's the beauty of owning your own business. So people listening, SLPs listening tonight and in the future might be considering starting their own consulting or coaching business Or they might be considering starting their own private practice, or they might have their own clinical private practice. So how does your model differ from a clinical private practice model?
1: Great question. As I said, the, and I'll say this, the art of being a corporate speech pathologist is an art because one of the things is, I don't know any corporate speech pathologists that actually bill that actually, when you talk about a practice, you talk about a clinic, you talk about who's inside a clinic, clinicians, and they see patients. They don't have clients. When you start seeing clients and you're not in a clinical type environment, you're not the clinician. It's not a clinic and you're, you're not seeing patients. I know we're talking semantics, but the verbiage and activity changes. Like how I'm being paid is different from how I would and now as to how I would be paid if I was a clinician working in a clinic, seeing patients. And so therefore there would be a type of source pay, if you will, that would govern what I do. That's a practice for me in my head. And that's, like I said, without the training to actually know what corporate speech is, the individuals that I do know, if, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, maybe you are, and maybe you're not, but there's a group of Speech therapist, and I want you to guys to look it up maybe tonight called Core SPAN. I'm not sure if that's a term in the lexicon of speech therapists, but I only knew Core SPAN probably three years now. And I've been a speech therapist for close to 20 years. And I just learned about Core SPAN. And Core SPAN is, oh, I wish I can tell you the acronym corporate speech, I don't know, CO, but it's a band of speech language pathologists and I can't tell you if they're all currently licensed or they keep them, I know some of them aren't, but who do corporate speech pathology. And these are individuals who have kind of taught me like the model of figuring it out. So one side, there's like the clinical environment, whether you're the clinician and then there's patients and then there's, there's pay via in like your insured, like insurance or billing of Medicaid, like that happens as far as source pay. But in this environment when you're coach and or consultant, it is private pay. And there is Medicare or insurance is not governed what this service is for and how much you bill for and th- those type of things. So once you I believe you step out of that realm, you are more so- on solid ground into more of a coaching or consulting type business, aka the corporate, not so corporate speech <laughs> realm.
0: Okay, excellent. And then if we have time, we can look up course span to see exactly what it stands so, so. for. But that's very interesting. So does Asha have a special interest group for corporate speech pathology?
1: I believe they do. If I okay. told you exactly what it was, I would probably be telling you an, an, an untruth. Cause like, okay. a, I don't know that as well, but they have to, they have to, they just have to. And I, and I want to say they do even me going, and it's not like I'm on Asha's website like every day, but I do believe that there were, if not articles, a special interest group. Yeah. They, okay. I just believe they have that.
0: Okay. All right. So this is a service that you provide to all kinds of people, some in business, some entrepreneurs, some influencers. So you have found a need that they need your services. So tell us, you told us a little bit about what the newscaster was looking for. What are some of the other needs that people are looking for help with their communication and needing a communication consultant or coach?
1: Well, in the realm of business, there is a lot of communication that needs to go on about A few pivotal things that helps individuals to become very effective at what they do. One of the the first things is they have to really be able to articulate their value to the marketplace. So we're talking about coach on LinkedIn. We're talking about a consultant on LinkedIn. We're talking about an entrepreneur or an expert who has to communicate to others about who they are. And here's the other thing about what they do and how they do it so a lot of experts as you can imagine whether you are an entrepreneur if you're an entrepreneur you in some way are an expert of what you do in business if you're a professional and you have some some rank and tier in your organization you have some type of expertise at what you do whether you are over a certain many employees and you answer to a certain many employees or C-suites, as they call them in corporate speech. These are managers who are over you and they have C's around their titles and position. And here's a point, like you have to be able to articulate your value to the market or what you're actually, how you're serving. And you're also, maybe if you're like, if you have a job, not a job, sorry. If you have a product or some type of thing that you're selling, like, Having a closed mouth, I was telling my children earlier, earlier today about something that happened in our household that they didn't speak up about. Closed mouths don't get fed. I don't know. That's something that I remember my mom saying and maybe my aunt, but it's just like, if you're not able to open up about what you do and how you do it, whether you're an author because authors, they have to go around and speak about their book, and they go to book signings. Whether you're an entrepreneur, I have a business, I sell this, or I provide this service. If you keep that to yourself, how will anyone understand or know what you do? Some specifically have problems with clarity of speech. So of course, I help with that as well. And they also have difficulty with their ability to understand that their confidence is something that's holding them back. A lot of my clients, honestly, are introverts. So introverts are and probably have been the majority of my clientele. If, oh, that's interesting. A, and as I think about it, not all, but a lot of SLPs, not all of them, because I have it in me as well. An introvert knows, knows another introvert. And I would think our profession could be surrounded or has a very heavy weight or demographic of introvert. So who else knows an introvert besides an introvert? And the thing is when you're in business or you're professional, you have to kind of get over yourself and someone has to instill some level of confidence inside of you so that you can be articulate about what you're doing, the service you provide, or the product that you're actually selling and that has to—you have to be able to get into a rhythm and an understanding. You've heard the, the, epithet where someone says, "I'm finding my voice." It's not necessarily their their voice was gone. It's just like because they're speaking more about what they do and they have some level of passion about it. My job is to help them find their voice, if you will. Even though I do work with individuals with voice, still, it's just all a part of the communication. I, I'm a communication skills coach. That's kind of what. If you look me up on on LinkedIn that's what you would find. I'm a communication coach.
0: Excellent. Which brings me to your mantra which you told me. Competency breeds competence.
1: Yes. I love Can that. You,
0: I love that too. Can you talk about that and do, and that mantra is kind of guides your work? Is that something that you actually coach, you know, specifically coach your clients on?
1: It is. Mary Beth, I think it is my mission. Like it is my North, one of my North stars. I believe I have a couple, but that one, as far as the actual practice, practical application, I, when I take a lot of my clients through the process, if they're having some self confidence issues, if they're having some, some speech and articulation issues, maybe prior to some disfluency issues, it's understanding that when you, when you learn something and then have an opportunity to often apply it through practice or practical application, you can get better. But it first starts in the brain, it first starts in the mind, it first starts becoming aware of what you're actually needing to get better at so that you can actually get better at that. So you can't be confident. We can't be confident at many things here's my example that I give often to my clients. I said, listen, I can tell you, I could say, hey, Mary Beth, let's go fly an airplane. I'm going to fly. Okay. You're coming with me. I'm going to go fly. I'm excited. And we're, I'm going to go, we're going to go fly this, say we're going to fly a Cessna or a single engine. So we get to the airport and you hop in, I hop in and we're teeing up the the airplane on the runway. And all of a sudden, you start seeing me sweat and you're looking over like, what happened to all that, you know, confidence and that vibrato and that, hey, like, and I look over to you and say, I haven't flown. <laughs> 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 I haven't flown an airplane ever before in life, but I thought I could and I was confident that I could. But when the rubber meets the road or the propeller meets the air, just thought of that one. That's
0: it's like. One.
1: <laughs> It's like, what are you doing? Like, how are you going to do this well? Like, it's not going to be a successful first flight for us because there is no competency. I don't understand. Like, I've been in airplanes before. I've met pilots before. Like I've been through, you know, I have an under general understanding about how a plane works, but I haven't really took time to study it. And that's what I helped to bring to communication we all communicate we've been communicating ever since we were born but it's just having that that extra pair of eyes on how one is communicating and how to do it more effectively it really helps to breed a level of confidence in the individual that is trying to become a better speaker a better communicator and it's just allowing them to really see themselves a lot better and so that that confidence does brew. So there is very little or very weak confidence if there is no competency to undergird it. And that is my primary job. I think as speech language pathologists, we're, we have an innate ability, a lot of us, to cheer and to encourage. So once we get them full of competency and understanding and start to practice that thing, we can just cheer, you know, our clients on, or I just cheer my clients on. And for, you know, they're flying there. A lot of my clients, they, they've gone on to start YouTube pages and, and podcast and, you know, better things that allows them to use their voice in a consistent way, TikTokers or, or whatever, you, whatever they want to do.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, how rewarding for you to be part of that process and see that confidence build over time.
1: Definitely. It it is. It's very much like, you know, being a clinician, you know, back in and how, you know, just doing therapy, the intrinsic reward is knowing that you get to see that growth in your patients and or clients that because of your recommendations, your encouragement, your guidance, you're facilitating their pathway forward. It is rewarding. It's very much rewarding.
0: Well, that is great. Okay, so for SLPs considering making the move to corporate coaching or consulting or communication consulting, when do you think is an ideal time for someone to make the move to a corporate speech pathology, consult a not-so-corporate speech pathology consulting business?
1: So first of all, to get into what I am doing and what people who are in corporate speech or not-so-corporate speech pathology is you have to know inside of you somewhere deep that you're an entrepreneur. So that's one word that we have not spoken on tonight's podcast. Like you have to be an entrepreneur in your heart and to be a business owner is not for the squeamish. It's not. And with that being said, you have to know. There's a knowing to yourself that you have to first grab a hold of and then you can start walking forward in the process. So whether it's to be what we are as, a, as speech pathologists out in enterprise and out in doing what is considered a formalized business, like you have to know that at the foundation of you, even if that didn't, if somehow your speech thing didn't work out, that you're still an entrepreneur. Like I think they both they have to go hand in hand. So that's number 1. Okay. Number, number 1. Yes, that's number 1. So number 2, you have to figure out and then it is a figuring out. Like what can I do daily even if I didn't want to get paid? Even if I wasn't getting paid for this because as you guys know, like there's so many realms and areas of being a speech language pathologist to actually do. So and that's no different out in in corporate world or in the business world. So you have to understand, like, how do I want to do this? If I'm going to do it, I'm an entrepreneur. What is the love that I have for my profession? So with me, it was voice and communication. And for what I do currently as a coach, they go hand in hand. So I'm staying true to who I am. I do love dysphagia. I will say that if I'm honest, there was an attempt in 2008 for me to jump out and start a mobile swallowing bus or unit or van or or unit. But so that's another sign that there was an entrepreneurial spirit in me. But now at this time, many years later, I just really found what is a sweet spot for me. So you got to know yourself as to know if you're an entrepreneur and come hell or high water, like I'm going to stick at this thing and it's not just a hobby. So If you want to figure it out, maybe you can kind of do what I did: do some stuff on the side as you're doing your regular job, and then continue to move forward. And like I said, I started off as a voice, as a voice specialist without a brick and mortar. So I didn't have the scope. I didn't have, which I love, the stroboscopy scope. I've done those. I didn't have a fees. I didn't have a brick and mortar, and I wasn't going in to work next to a doctor or, or. you know, an ENT. I've done that a little bit before as well. And I didn't want to go into work anymore. I think that was one of my things. Mm -hmm. But like I said, in my field, in this particular field, there's so many people who are not speech-language pathologists who are out there and doing exactly what we know to do and how to undo. And I'm just like, and it's not fair. It's like, this is our lane. And it's not to like say that they don't belong here, but there's people are this is like knowing that you built a, a house is built for you in it's designed for you and it's it's your lane and you open up you got the brand new keys to your door and you open up the door and it's like people live in here already and it's just like what are these people do, doing in my house and and you <laughs> So so how do you set
0: yourself that. apart as someone who has studied as uh, intently as you, you have and worked in the realm of communication for 17 years. How do you set yourself apart from other people who might be doing corporate communication services?
1: I mean, I think when, when it's corporate corporate is definitely, I'm learning too. There are speech therapists who are speech therapists who squarely, you know, fall in the lane of being in the corporate environment, and they're training and they're doing different things with with groups and not just individuals. However, there are voice coaches, you know, that who are very well versed because there's a musicality or a musical aspect of how we train what people associate with voice coaches. And I'm trying to debunk the theory that you don't have to sing to use and to to be. Or to need a voice coach or a communication coach, because that's typically voice coaches or vocal coaches, they're linked to singers and right. speech. That's our realm too. Whether you're singing or speaking, we should be there. So, how do I set myself apart from just a normal coach who might be in communication? The separation is hey, I have a master's in communication, I have a master's in. Communication and hearing disorders. Number one, I'm a speech language pathologist. So that's a for those of individuals who might be in my house to use that analogy. I get to show the deed, if you will. Like, hey, I own this. Like <laughs> you guys can be here maybe, but I own I, this is my space. Like officially, I, I own this space. So being a master's, a master's level clinician, and then you know, with all the stuff that we know about it, like they have like individuals who've been in our house for a little while, they're not making up stuff. I could say a lot of what we do is intuitive. If you're in, if you're in tune to to what communication really is. And if you do the actual research to study, like you don't, it's hard to say that. I don't want to say you don't have to get a degree. You don't really have to get a degree in speech language pathology to do really well for individuals who sing and who are speaking who are using their voice to be in a corporate or business realm. You just have to really be a good communicator. And if you're a true studier of communication, you understand what makes things come from here outside of here, especially if there's no disorder attached, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it can be very intuitive.
0: Well, thank you. So how do you find your clients?
1: Great question. You got another you got another hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, it is always good to do a time check. We we have some time.
1: How much time? How much time do we have, Mary?
0: We will go a little bit over. So we have about twenty minutes.
1: Okay, cool. So one thing that you must do as you're thinking about this transitory process from moving from a clinician. Or you are an employee to becoming a full time entrepreneur slash business owner, you have to figure out where are you going to get your clients from? Because we have been working for other people. And we've been kind of insular to the community and where we worked. And no one really knows about us. So you have to kind of get your name out there. So that's a great question. That's a beautiful question. One of the first things that, and I kind of gave a hint, one of the first things you guys can do is stop using your social media so much for personal things and start using it for teaching purposes, your profession, for professional things. And that is probably one of the primary ways of getting yourself and your business out and start letting people know that you're out there because one, you start educating them and then they start figuring out whatever he or she is talking about. It's either me or I know someone who has a situation that could potentially benefit from this. So here's another thing that I said a lot of speech therapists are introverts. And if we haven't done self checks, I'm really into really knowing thyself, right? A lot of us, all of us, of course, if you look at some of our profiles on social media, they're private. They just are. And speech therapists I'm talking about, they are mostly private. And it's just like, I get that. But I think when we put on the, and this is the thing that I learned, and I didn't know this from the beginning because I don't think social media was, was rampant when I was graduating and finishing. Like there is a type of, I don't know. When you graduate as a speech-language pathologist, I learned that we grew into a type of superpower. Like, this is, and I've said it on other podcasts before, like, we've gained a skill. And it's like, and this skill can help save lives, I mean, in a lot of ways. Or it can help to really transform lives. So if you have the ability to save and or transform lives, it's almost a responsibility. Okay. Social media and social media can be used for many things, but when you have the responsibility that we have, you can shine light into darkness, right? Meaning that you can help individuals and you can bring awareness with your platform. So that's what social media is. It's a free platform to bring awareness. Now, of course, what do you bring awareness to is, is what a lot of us are at odds for, but specifically for the profession that we're in, That's one of the things that helped to catapult me from just posting what I had for dinner or I don't have a cat, my dog or whatever, posting that vacations and stuff and start bringing awareness to what I did to see if I can start making connections and network and help and serve. And that's the primary thing. Turn your social media. And I'm not saying don't post any, cause I'm not that dude either. Don't post any personal pics or photos, but cause you're me, I believe that you still, still a human being and you want to live a lifestyle. And honestly, people want to see what kind of human being you are to say, this person's relatable to me. So, but the other part of it is overwhelmingly, if you're going to post, think about your profession and think about who you can actually help. So I said a lot, but social media first, And then when you really start to make the decision to transition, you need to see how you can make social media work even more for you in an exponential way. Because now you don't want just some, you know, maybe because I'm working full time. Let me let me just have some clients. You want to have more clients. So now you have to leverage. I love this word. It's been out lately. Leverage social media to gain an exponential amount of clients. So me specifically, I use Facebook. Facebook ads is something that you can either learn yourself or you can pay somebody to help you generate attention, generate people coming to you where they ask you questions about how you can serve. And you guys know, you guys totally know, you can mention hamburger, toilet tissue, or an iPhone and all of a sudden it pops up on your social media or it pops pops up in your your advertisements. And that's the power of it. Literally, you can be thinking something and maybe not have mentioned it and it pops up. And that is the power of Facebook ads and social media. And that is the power. If you put a paid advertisement behind what you are doing or what you are trying to do or the service that you're providing You get in front of people and you get to have conversations and you get to say, this is how I help. And if you're interested, this is how much it costs. And that's just Facebook, Instagram, TikTok goes crazy. And LinkedIn has its own ability to reach out to individuals where you can help.
0: Okay. So your recommendation is transforming your own personal accounts, not opening a new account for your new business that you're starting, but connect with the people who you're already connected with and let them know what Definitely. you are doing and what you can do.
1: Definitely. Because let's be honest, starting a new account, it's like I'm not saying you can or you shouldn't. I just recommend you already know people and people are there and those people know other people and where there's a crowd, more people come to. That's just the law of human nature. If there's individuals, I saw this video one time and this one dude at a beach start dancing. And then all of a sudden, maybe a couple of people started dancing. And all of a sudden people start dancing around them. And, and then more people came over, start <laughs> dancing around them. And then more and that, Now it's a whole crowd because the crowd attracts a crowd. So right. that, that idea Comes from there. If you're trying to to do something, they already know you. Just start where you are, and your switches. You're just being more responsible. I don't think you should be spammy with your account, but when you know that you're a superhero, and we don't necessarily have to walk around like Clark Kent all day, we can take off our suits and say, "Hey, I can help." You know, I think that. Like I said, it's free and it's, it's a service and it puts a smile on your face and maybe somebody else's and maybe does a lot more.
0: Excellent advice. Okay. Time check here. We have a a little bit more time. Let's talk about your protocol. So working in a clinic, we have protocols for our clinical work. Some of that aligns with a suspected disorder, And some of that is influenced by who's paying and whether you're in a school system or hospital. So anyway, there are different clinical parameters, but tell us about the general protocol. Now, I know you see a lot of different people, but what is your general protocol when you see a new client?
1: That's a great question. It's a very great question. So because it's not clinical, I don't have one. I don't have a paper. I don't have, let's go through this. It is. Because I've been doing treatment for a while and I have done so many assessments, I have my own assessment in my brain. But in this in this particular realm, it is more my assessment is asking is really getting down and asking what are some things that does the individual want to change? Because this is more of elective. It is. it's, It's not. There is no disorder. There's no necessarily discernible abnormality. You know, people come to me and like, why are they coming to you? Like, that, I mean, because the, they're, they're communicating almost like you and I. But the thing that w- we cannot see is their ability to start having a conversation with you and start to let you know about their insecurities. And as I kind of alluded to before, we're really helping them work on it some insecurities, and some small deficiencies. If we're talking about clarity, if you will, maybe they're speaking too fast. There, So there are behavioral approaches to intelligibility and helping them to become more aware. So there might be a practice and I might do some kinetics with exercises, breathing and things of that nature. I need to understand maybe some history and some background medically, if there's some things that are going on anxiety or, or or things of that nature that might disrupt how i guess their progress or their process to their results that they are actually asking for i can tell you this a lot of my clients a lot of their biggest problems is their their self confidence and their ability to navigate through their thinking process a lot of my Clients, they believe that they have disfluencies that are outside the norm, if you will, of what the average individual has as a disfluency. And it is my job as an educator, as a teacher, as a therapist, as a as a coach to let them know, hey, everyone has disfluencies. And when I when I start to let them know that they're more normal, they're more human, they're more for lack of a better word an average individual i'm not saying that they're average hopefully you guys know what i mean but they are just these are individuals that are that are not outside the norm and it's just allowing them to become aware that even i make this have this fluencies, even i have a case of the ums i'm not saying like some of us when we teach and i've i've heard individuals who are non-speech therapists these speaking coaches and vocal coaches and they stand up and they say say certain things that i don't believe and necessarily is true it's like when you say um you're dumb like a way to never say um because it makes you more intelligent i'm just like ouch yeah like what are you teaching me how not to be human like that is to say um is to be normal now i think One can have a case of the ums, and we can definitely work on getting that better. But saying ums doesn't make you unintelligent. I think you should know what to do with your ums or expand your repertoire of filler words that are not so fillery. Use words like so and therefore, or and, or then, or or use occasional um. But I've, myself, I've looked and studied, I love Doing what I do because I get to study communicators. I get to study speakers, and they're even presidential. Like these are individuals who, on some level, are supposed to be good orators or good speakers or good communicators, and they have their They have their times of ums, and so you can't take that out. And it's, I just believe that you have to be aware of it. And a lot of times, sometimes when you make someone aware of it, they're more ummy. So it's just knowing how to navigate that thing in between your ears that called your brain to do what you can in the best way. So say ums, but make sure you can probably put two a minute or one or two a minute. Like, don't be a robot, but understand that we're human. And the more someone realizes that they are human, especially if they're not having a disorder, it's my job is to educate. But the more they realize that they're human, they're able to kind of overcome a lot of their insecurities mind you they're introverts so a lot of times they're in their head and it's just like it's my job to help them get out of their head so my protocol is just basically asking them what's their struggle what are the things if they if they wanted to work with me what do you want to leave with and it's my job to work on their customized strategies to get the results that they're looking for not the results that I want for them
0: Excellent. So that's Your kind of your initial consultation. And then Mm -hmm. typically, do you see people once a week, twice a week? How does that work?
1: Very good. It is typically once a week on a Zoom call for about an hour. And I also have a group coaching session where all of my clients past, present, they will hop on. Like I have alumnus that hop on a group coaching call. I call it flowology Thursdays. It's a flow. We want to flow. And they hop on and I teach or I bring on a guest and we have conversations about a power 30, 35 minutes of just learning about how to become the best speaker, the best communicator, the best negotiator of language and speech, if you will, that really energizes them, inspires them and gives them information that they can go out into the world and do their best job. So I do one-on-one for my current clients. And then I do a coaching session of group on Zoom.
0: Group for your current alums. And how long typically does a client work with you individually?
1: Eight weeks. So it's typically, and I, I probably got that model, eight-week model from from working as a clinician and I was working as a clinician and probably more so as a home health clinician. Like if you can't get what you need to do, get done in eight weeks, unless it's a special case, you're probably not going to make it and make too much more of a difference after that. Side. So eight weeks is typically what I see my clients for. Okay. For one-on-ones.
0: Okay. And then at the end of that, I'm sure you review your, the goals, which you've been working on throughout and they feel like they have, they have graduated and then they go to the the flow Thursdays.
1: Yes, flowology
0: Thursdays. Flow flowology Thursdays. Okay. Well, that is great. We have a question here, and I want to remind everyone that you can put your questions in the chat box. Also, I want to remind everyone, if you are taking this course for live CEUs and your state license requires live CEUs, be sure to complete all the course modules, including the module that says quiz on your speechtherapypd.com account before the end of the day today. All right. So the question is, do you follow any other coaching experts?
1: I do. Great question. Who asked that question? Jane? Jane? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Two in particular. And you guys might think once you see them. Well, I think one is really good. So he calls himself a communication teacher. And I can tell you this he is a world renowned speaker from Australia and a magician. And he does almost, almost exactly what I do, but he just does it in his own way. And he commands the stage and he has a program, so I follow him. And if you follow me on social media and I'll talk to you about it, I've done a few remixes on my, on my IG, and I get a lot of videos just because I do some remixes with him because he he speaks every day. And he, his name is Vin, V-I-H-N, I believe it's V-I-H-N, Yang, and that's G-I-A-N-G, Vin Yang. So he's great. He's he's a communication teacher, but he's a speaker and a magician and he's world renowned and he goes and he does a lot of seminars and speeches on communicating. And one of his, his main things is about voice, something that of course I know. And he talks about vocal image and we, he talks about what, so that's one.
0: Okay. And
1: so the other one is, I think he's a staple out in, especially in LA. And he has gone through businesses or like the entertainment world. And most people know him, whether it's business or just pure entertainment. Roger Love. He's Roger Love. All right. So he's he's kind of an older guy, but he's the one that gave that advice about if you say ums, you're dumb. But I'm just like, (laughs) listen, like. A lot of what those guys do, and you can, when you guys start listening to them, they sell themselves. They are excellent communicators. And if, if, and when you become a really great communicator, you gain influence, whether you have a degree in speech pathology or not. And these individuals, they're so confident in their presentation and they can tell you almost anything. That's the difference. That's the true difference. They can tell you almost anything. And it kind of comes off as factual, but if you really know what communication is, it's just their opinion and but they're they're good at what they do. They have a following and people like what they're doing. and this is how we get to position ourselves when we understand what's fluff and what's not. But these are individuals especially who stand on stages and they they get paid a lot of money to just open up their mouth and to train people how to be better communicators.
0: Thank you. How about any SLPs, SLP coaches, anyone else that you follow?
1: Amy? Oh, she's in California too. She also works with celebrities as well. Amy, I'm going to give you her her info. All
0: right. And then while you're doing that, I have a question. Another question for Mm -hmm. you from the audience. Did you ever go through imposter syndrome and how did you move through it? If so?
1: Great question. Amy Chapman. Amy Chapman, she's a voice coach. Well, she's known, well, she labels herself as a voice coach and she's a speech language pathologist. She's my gal who I kind of follow up on in this space. Imposter syndrome. We all have it. And I think imposter syndrome. Yes, I did. So answer your question, yes. And imposter syndrome is a journey of continual self-discovery and i think self discovery should be a continual journey period but when you are in some ways when you go through maybe in an emotional state in your business in your personal life and even working with a client where the job didn't necessarily go the way you wanted to where they're not as as enthusiastic about giving you a testimony you just, you start having some self doubt like that creeps up, but you have to continually remind yourself that you are the expert and that you bring value when you walk into the room and when you start working with clients or individuals. And here's another thing you, I would recommend when you guys start, you often do testimonies because just like comments in the social media, in the comment section, even if you're doing great, you're going to have like maybe a great percentage of everyone dropping fire emojis and saying how great this is. But you might have a skeptic or two. And that's always a small percentage. I can't necessarily say that I've had a skeptic, but I just had, I think I might have one or two out of all my clients that, you know, wasn't so enthusiastic at the end of the day. And that's why it's important to kind of walk through the process of the growth process or the goals that you're, that you're hitting, that you guys are hitting all the goals that you talked about and all the things that they need help with. So when you make sure that you're doing that, you won't have a disappointment. You might not have an over enthusiastic client, but you won't have a disappointing one because you made goals together in the beginning and you touch on those things and you point out the progress of those things as you walk through your, your time with these individuals. So when you do this, you make sure you always get testimonies because those testimonies encourage you like things that well, some of my clients have said to me that I never really thought of about me and how I interact or what I do and what I say. It's very profound. And if you can get a video one, even better. I try and get off video testimonials because that's encouragement. It's encouragement that we need because... If you think when you start to isolate yourself, like I did, as I was going through the realms of my career as a medical speech pathologist, ending up in a space where I was just doing home health, I was very isolated. Right Now I'm in my house and I'm on Zoom and there's even more isolation. So the only real feedback are are the ones that you get from your clients and maybe a a good family member who's (laughs) Who's interested in what you do and maybe they've overheard you doing your job or doing what you do while you're actually doing it, but you're going to get those modes of imposter syndrome and you got to kind of battle that with some affirmations that you have for yourself and from others.
0: Well, thank you for your honesty and thank you for that answer. And those are excellent suggestions. We have one last question. Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) When you were establishing your consulting business, who were your confidants or mentors who helped you get started? And what are your suggestions to others who might be interested in diving into this work to find confidants or mentors?
1: So at the core, great question. Great question, Mirabed. At the core of who you are, especially when you're stepping out into the realm of business, you have to understand again that you are an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur is a person that's very resilient. And it's this business or working in business is not for the squeamish. You will get tossed and turned and your emotions, we all are emotional human beings. And when your emotions are up, or down, you need to be aware of that and try to best to manage them well so that you can continue to meet these goals. So being resilient as an entrepreneur is one. And one of my resilient mentors is somebody by the name of Dr. Eric Thomas. He is a motivator. He's a motivational speaker actually. And he is a gentleman who I turn on to give me that fire. That helps me to continue to move forward when things are tough. When the funnel fails or the funnel crashes, or your Facebook gets hacked, and now they had Facebook deletes your account and you have to set up a new one, and and now your pipeline of clients aren't flowing in the way they used to, and you need someone. So you need a motivator. You need a motivator, and Eric Thomas is one of mine, and then. Getting into CoreSpan, which I know what it means now, <laughs> CoreSpan core is the Corporate Speech Pathology Network, but so you need to get into a group who's actually doing what you're doing. So find a networking group, whether it's somebody who you know from school, someone who you know in your community, or someone who you might know online, and CoreSpan is that for me. So you get into a community of like-minded individuals who are doing something very similar to what you're doing. So you need a motivator, you need like-minded people. And then for the thing that you want to do more specifically, like if you want to be a corporate speech pathologist and you want to be in an environment where you're, you know, you're looking the part and you're wearing the clothes and, and you're actually talking to groups of people and you're putting on training and you're telling them about communication, Find individuals who are doing that very same thing. And if you're looking for ability just to, or I don't know, a likeness of someone who's just wants to do the online model where you're just finding your clients online, you have to know yourself in order to understand who you want to put as your influencer. So you need a motivator because you get down. You need to be in a community of like-minded people. And then you want to find some individuals who are doing some very specific things to what you want to do and how you want to do it. So that could be anybody when it came for, to me, learning Facebook ads, I didn't know anybody who can do Facebook ads. So I I just looked it up and social media is a great, great place to, like I said, you can kind of talk about it a few times and then it pops up on your timeline. (laughs) Then you can just take your, take your pit and and trust and trust them and see where you can go. So well, are- I, I yeah. do
0: think it's true that we could talk for days, but our time this time is coming to an end. Well, oh, I do say I'm um a lot. I, I admit it. I'm an ummer. So, but it doesn't mean I'm dumb. <laughs> no, it
1: doesn't. As long as you're not overdoing it and you don't have a problem with it. There's some ways to overcome that.
0: All right. So. We would love to have you come back another time on Keys for SLPs, but I, you are also doing some mentoring through speechtherapypd.com. Can you just talk about that really quickly and then we'll, then we'll be done?
1: <laughs> yes, I am doing a mentorship that I actually, I believe I'm the second tier of this particular group of mentorship and I will be doing a mentorship. If it's not this, I talked to Yumi about it. If it's not this year, we'll be starting in the beginning of spring. And it's a mentorship to teach other SLPs that are coming behind me or or might be on the same in the same space that I am to do what I do on a more specific level, it's like how to form an LLC and how to look for funding or how to be more specific for client attraction and just mentoring individuals who are really interested in this corporate speech pathology or not so corporate speech pathology. It just being a mentor for individuals who are like, you know, I I think that's something I want to do because if I'm honest, I'm not sure of how much, even in this day and age, how much that's being taught to students who are graduating and trying to understand. I've heard of corporate speech, but what is it and how does that work? Could it work for me?
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jason Hall. We really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us. And it's been so fun to have you on Keys for SLPs and get to know you. So I look forward to seeing you again. And will you be going to ASHA?
1: It's still game time decision. It's a six hour drive. It it is. And I know people who live, I have family. I have family who live in Baton Rouge and I'm just like, "Mm, it's still a possibility. So it's still up in the air, but it's, it's, it's definitely on the table.
0: So we may see you in person there. All right.
1: Well, take care. Definitely. You take care too. Thank you guys.
0: Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs, providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and more. Thanks for your positive reviews and support. I would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe.